you can now hear Movie Heaven, Movie Hell on Stitcher. Stitcher is radio on demand. Listen anytime, anywhere. Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discover from 20,000 news, entertainment, and sports shows. You can also create your own custom playlists. Stitcher is available on iOS, Android, Nook, iPad, and in over 4 million car dashboards. It's on demand and it's on the go. No downloading, no syncing, no wasted memory. You can stream your favorite podcasts from Stitcher. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. And please leave us a review and rating on Stitcher. Thank you. Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken, and... And I'm Keith Isles, and we are both independent filmmakers that enjoy discussing other filmmakers' work. So, this week, we have a bit of a disclaimer. Mm. Uh, We looked for directors whose uh, surname started with Q, and uh, unfortunately, we could only find two. Yeah, yeah, the Brothers Quay, which... uh, you know, really, they've only done a couple of um, a couple of features and, uh, you know, some fairly obscure stuff. And Richard Quinn or Quine, I don't know how that's pronounced, but uh, he has loads of credits. But most of his films were sort of back in the 50s and quite difficult to get hold of and, and, and you know, review his work. So we, we felt we weren't really... Um, if you like, qualified to, to, to give a proper cr- critique on these particular filmmakers. So <laughs> what have we done? <laughs> uh, we've cheated. <laughs> <Basically>, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've, uh, we decided to uh, do Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Because uh, of, you know, Quentin. Yeah. And also there's plenty of teas when we get to tea. So uh, yes. it allows us yeah. to talk about someone else then. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, what we'll do in the future when it comes to a letter where we can't find a director to talk about, we will just skip it. But we thought this time we we would bring Quentin forward. Well, yeah, because he is kind of man of the moment again uh, as we're recording this, isn't he? So, um, yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would say so. I mean, um, it's it's funny, isn't it? Because um, a Tarantino film comes out, and it's usually a, there's a big hurrah about it and stuff. But uh, it has kind of been eclipsed by Star Wars. Of course, I, yeah, everything's kind of been eclipsed by Star Wars. I mean, still, as we're speaking, um, number one in the box office. Mm-hmm. You know, where it usually it would be a Tarantino film in that place. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it's that they're finding it very hard to to knock Tarantino. Well, sorry, knock Star Wars off its throne. Yes. And and obviously Star Wars will be something that we will be visiting at length um, in future podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) We weren't supposed to say. Oh, we're not supposed to say anything. Okay. We can cut that out. (laughs) Or you can leave it in for a bit of banter, whatever. (laughs) 
dear. So, Quentin, yes. Uh, This this is kind of, he's another one. Uh, I know we've had a few of them on on, on these podcasts where, you know, even though he's only actually done eight, eight films um it's kind of difficult because he's one of those guys that has been so documented and so interviewed over the years that there's there's probably not much that you and I could say about this guy that 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 hasn't already been said somewhere I mean he he is you, you know um because because he was like what a decade born a decade or so earlier than us um when when you and i started getting sort of really interested in films and in, in filmmaking he he was he was really that guy that sort of came along and at the right time for us wasn't he you know for for our generation of filmmaker very much yeah well that's right because um uh hit when reservoir dogs came out um i just turned 16 Right. Uh, and I didn't get to see it until I was about 19 because A, I couldn't see it in the cinema and B, because it was banned on VHS for a long time. Right. There was actually there was actually a, a, there was a few years there where you couldn't actually watch Reservoir Dogs on VHS. Yes, that is which true. Which was crazy. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I went back and watched it and um, yes, it's violent, but the, the amount of blood and gore in it is not much. It's, uh, it's the equivalent of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre when it comes to blood and gore. It's more implied than it is. I mean, yes, you have the two cops being shot in the car where it's quite explosive. Yeah. And the ear you, scene, but they pan away from anyway. They pan away <laughs> from it. You don't actually see him slice the ear off. I think it's it's that trick of not showing it, but the audience members turned away, not looking, and they think they see it. Yeah. They hear it. But they're not looking, so they automatically think it must be there on screen for all to see when it isn't. Well, it just shows you how much all this this sort of you know censorship and whatever has actually changed in just the last twenty years. It's it's quite substantial, isn't it? When you think about it that way, yeah, it, it has a lot, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, when Tarantino came along, he was a filmmaker who he made you want to go out and watch other films. Oh, totally. It was either homaging or ripping off or whatever your point of view is on on his sort of way of taking bits and pieces from other films and putting them into his films. No, exactly. I mean, he, he really was. He kind of brought back that um, sort of 70s maverick uh, exploitation, you know, director type feel. Um you know the things that I guess you know Scorsese and Schrader and Bogdanovich and you know Cassavetes and you know all those sort of guys of that era. And um, obviously, being in mind, he's a massive fan of all sorts of movies, cinema in general. And you know he was very much a a massive fan of, of B movies and um, you, you know all those uh, you know exploitation films from the 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 sixties and seventies and and most definitely you, you know inspired by a lot of that stuff. But it's quite interesting. He, he, he kind of put a spin on it and brought it to the the, the mainstream in the early nineties. So uh, yeah, very cool. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, I would say he was a more populous. Um director i mean those directors you've just listed they they all have their thing yes you know and 
I know Tarantino has the um, the dialogue, but a lot of the imagery and ways of doing stuff are very. They, it has been very much taken from other people, and they're they're clear to see it. With other with those directors you were talking about, they may have taken their influences, but they distilled it through them, and they came out their own work. With Tarantino, they just distilled through him, and it's kind of like um, it reminds me of a friend of mine long time ago when he was learning to play the guitar he'd always be at parties and he'll play a bit he goes can you guess what this is and he'll make you want to guess what this the tune of the song is and that's what tarantino does mm-hmm. he's there on you know with a guitar get, playing a little tune and go you know what that is yeah and then you play another tune you know what that is and then another one you know what that is yeah or in his case do you know what film this is from what you know well absolutely and and, and you know he, he cast the net quite wide as well because you know he's in he's his his influences came from you you know the history of cinema but from all over the world as well you know from from sort of italian horror to spaghetti western to you know japanese martial arts films and you, you know all of those sort of things um and and yeah he kind of he kind of put put it all into sort of melting pot and 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 made it his own in many respects, doesn't he? You know, like every time you see a Tarantino film now, you you kind of you you know he's got his themes and his styles that 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 are there through the entire body of it. Well, I, I think the only thing that kind of makes it a Tarantino film is the dialogue. I have to say, a lot of the imagery and stuff is very much you 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 can tell where where which films he's taken it from and stuff. So to say that his his style, I think it's the dialogue. I mean, the end of the day, it's it's all about the dialogue mm-hmm. because he he comes up with dialogue that's you know up to a certain point was quite memorable. Um, I am really finding it difficult to remember dialogue from his later films, including The Hateful Eight. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I could still quote Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, oh, and yeah. Jackie Brown. Yeah, I mean he's very quotable, and uh, and and obviously, like you said, dialogue and. Um you know script is is kind of where it all started for him anyway you know from being from being a script doctor on on stuff right the way through to you know selling his his first couple of screenplays before before you know making it as a filmmaker in his own right and uh you know very i mean obviously when i by the time i got to film school which was what 95 96 um you know, he was he was very established by that point, and th- there's there's no doubt about it. You know, um, <laughs> nine nine out of ten of, of of every student in the class, you know, would mention Tarantino, and and you y- y- you know would 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 sort of draw from him as as inspiration and stuff. So it was it was, you know, a very interesting time back then. Well, yeah, because um, for. You can tell if a, a, a filmmaker is making an influence um, out there is the amount of short films and student films then start aping that same style. <laughs> it's like when uh, Two Lock and um, Lock Stock and Two Smoking Barrels came out. The amount of short films I saw afterwards with dodgy geezers with dodgy deals, you know, started coming out the woodwork. Yeah, uh, it is literally like an explosion of these kind of stories. And it was the same with Tarantino, that very much trying to do the Tarantino style of dialogue of where it's talking about something that has nothing to do with the plot. Yeah, yeah, some form of pop culture, 
yeah. <laughs> just, something just, that's, that's, that's entertaining. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. And, and you know, um, I have to admit, I on one of my films, uh, I put a camera in the boot of a car <laughs> and, and, and had the uh, the actress close the boot on us and, and stuff. So, uh, yeah, you know, um, uh, absolutely. He's he's you know, I know I know a few people who don't like him, actually. Um, yeah, know. I know a few people as well. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you, you, you know, he is a. Uh, uh, a true fan of, 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 of all things cinema. I mean, you know, to the point that it's almost a, not just a passion, it's almost seems to be an obsession of, of his, but he's also somebody that, that, you know, looking at it seems to have been successful and, and, and got there off his own back and in his own right, you know? Well, the thing I like about Tarantino is that he elevates a lot of people. Um, That is, that's one thing I, I do like about him is the fact that he raises up other people who've probably been in the industry for a long time and he brings them to the public's notice. So like, you know, talking about Corman, talking about black exploitation films, you know, um, having actors like Pam Greer, John Travolta. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think of the other actor from Jackie Brown. Oh, Robert Foster. Yeah, yeah. Who who were actors who were out there working, but didn't weren't giving getting the, those kind of roles, and then Tarantino came along and cast them in his films, and suddenly they had a career resurgence. Yeah, Academy Award nominations and everything. So yeah, uh, yeah no, I, I, absolutely. I, he certainly yeah uh, relaunched careers of people that you know he enjoyed uh, while he was growing up. You know in certain films that, 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 like you said, had had a total slump in their career and uh, sort of brought them back to the mainstream, which, um, which, which is a really cool thing. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and he could have, you know, sort of ignored all that or just sort of got his own way or, but it is great that he, he tries to sort of elevate those people with him. Yes. So that's uh, commendable. Um, before we move on to our picks, I just wanted to ask, what was the weirdest Tarantino story you heard? Story? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll give you my one okay. and then you, to give you the gist. Um, I remember um, I, probably when I was studying for film and we were talking about Tarantino and I remember somebody said to me, did you know that he, he went to jail? And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What happened was was that he had all these parking tickets and he didn't pay them and the police caught up with him and instead of um, paying these fines he actually said he decided to go to prison because he wanted to hear how people talk so <laughs> to... yeah exactly <laughs> you know and uh, yeah yeah and that's where he got his style of of, of writing it's, it's from being in prison and listening to these guys and hearing them talk and hearing that, you know, they're not there in corners, you know, plotting. They're actually talking about stuff like you and me. And I must admit at the time, I not knowing much about Tarantino, probably fell for it hook, line and sinker. But <laughs> now knowing about him, it's... Um, definitely not uh, true. I'll tell you what, we meet some weirdos in this business, don't we? <laughs> uh uh, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think. I'm sure there's a there's a raft of urban legends about uh, Quentin out there, and I can't I can't uh, off the top of my head think about a 
specific one that I'd been told or anything. Um, I mean, I do, I do know, and I believe this one, it, there is some fact in this that um, he, you know, I don't know about the whole jail thing, but I know he, he got, he got arrested once or in trouble once for uh, when he was, when he was still a juvenile um, stealing an Elmore Leonard novel from, from a convenience store or something, which I think is quite ironic <laughs> when, when you think he ends up uh, directing a story based on, 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 on one of uh, Elmore Leonard's stories. But uh, um, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's, there's some, there's some weird stuff out there uh, said about him, and uh, <laughs> uh, but but yeah, I mean, nearly nearly anyone you talk to about films um, always has you know some connection or or some something to say about Quentin. Um, as Quentin has a lot of things to say himself. I mean, you know, his big thing at the moment, as as you and I saw firsthand, um, you, you know, at the Hateful Eight uh, premiere, was was you, you know this thing about him you know, wanting films not only to be shot entirely on film, but also to be projected in movie theatres on film as well and uh, do away with this whole digital cinema, which he, he cites as um, like watching watching TV in a theatre or whatever, which, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think I'm not sure I 100% agree with what he's saying there. I think he might have gone a little bit far and... Uh, I think he's lost touch of reality slightly in the business that he's, you know, again, he's one of the very few that cinemas will actually go and reinvest in, in film equipment, uh, film projectors and whatever to, uh, to show his film. I, you know, if, 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 if you or I went to do that, we wouldn't get very far. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so. Yeah. I, I remember there's a whole, uh, actually controversy about that because um i think it was the arc light in um la right uh he had booked because it was the only cinema in la that shows that has 70 millimeter or that tarantino wanted it to show there because he likes the yeah. projection it's a beautiful yeah. cinema it is a very nice cinema yeah well what happened was they had booked it for christmas for i think for two weeks and um Disney wanted to book the the cinema for Star Wars totally over Christmas, <laughs> and um, they actually, t you know, threatened to not give them the film at all unless they got that slot. Now this is the thing: I don't know what happened. There was the whole controversy. I mean, there was Tarantino going out there, you know, going on about this, but we, I don't know. I do not know what's happened if. Um, if they bowed to Disney or if the they didn't like the bad publicity and they just, you know, backed down, don't know. Mm. I'm guessing, I'm guessing they probably backed down. Yes, there you go. That's another, another, we're back to Star Wars versus The Hateful Eight and uh, <laughs> two big powers there with Disney and uh, Quentin. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> mm. or, or the Weinsteins, should we say, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, Disney and the Weinstein's, my God, yes, the key, the yeah. key to the industry. Disney, uh, Disney, Spielberg and the Weinstein's. If you know any of them, you're sorted. <laughs> but I mean, just going to going back on to Tarantino's sort of uh, view about digital cinema and stuff. I mean, yeah, um, we'd all love to turn back the clock, but um, 
you know, things progress, things move forward. You know, it's, I mean, the thing is, if we all had to go back to film, you know, I don't know about you, Keith, but I know at this point I wouldn't be able to afford to make films. Oh, yeah, no, for sure, yeah. for sure. Yeah, no. Or, or, or have them projected decently. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, this this is the thing. It's it's great that Tarantino's had all these films projected on thirty five mil. Yeah. You imagine taking your, you know, film that you shot, um, on digital, and they have some crappy old little projector that they have to that they don't use. And it, I, mean, I remember going to one screening where it was actually crooked. Oh my god! Because they didn't use it. Yeah. And they just they put it on, and then suddenly, as the film started, realized that it was sort of um, slightly diagonal on the screen. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a nightmare having anything screened consistently. And that is, that is where yeah. digital is a little bit more flexible, but, um, but any listeners that, 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 you know, are interested in that sort of thing. Uh, we did do a podcast a few back called film versus digital. So please uh, check it out. And, um, you, you know, myself and Simon, you know, discuss this in, in, in some detail. So, uh, so please yeah. do check that one out yeah. yeah, if you haven't already, because obviously you listen to every episode if you're listening to this, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's move on. Move on. Yes. <laughs> um, so, Keith, what is your pick for movie? Here? All right. Well, for this one, um, I just went with uh, Pulp Fiction, which is which is a lot of people's favorite Um Again, you know, I'm not going to be able to say much about this that hasn't already been said. Uh, the reason I picked this was this was actually the first film of his that I saw because uh, I saw this at the cinema. Uh, whereas much like yourself, you know, um, Reservoir Dogs, uh, when that came out, I wasn't able to see that at the time. And uh, you, you, like, like you rightly said, it wasn't available for, for some time either. Um, I, I did subsequently get to see it on the big screen, um, you, you know, I think shortly after the release of Pulp Fiction, in fact, probably. Um, but but yeah, this this was the uh, this this was my sort of introduction to to Quentin Tarantino and a damn fine introduction. <laughs> I thought it was, too. Um, and, 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 you know, when I went back and watched um, Reservoir Dogs, I, I found that also equally enjoyable. Um, and. You know, since this, I, I think I've seen every film of, of Quentin's on the big screen since. So, uh, but yeah, this is where it all sort of started. I know it wasn't where it started, but it was where it kind of started for me. Um, well, it's it's the same for me. Yeah. Um, Pop Fiction was the first film I saw. Right. Uh, I didn't see it at the cinema. Um, I saw it. I, it was one of those films where I saw bits and pieces of it for a while mm -hmm. uh, before actually sitting down and watching the whole thing. So I'd, I'd, I'd seen it around people's houses. It's, it was one of those films people would put on during parties. So as you're sort of drinking and talking to other people, there's this film playing in the background and you don't really take much notice of it. Or certain scenes you would stop and watch and then sort of continue talking and stuff. So I never really sort of sat down, watched it properly from beginning to end oh, right. uh, for, for quite a while. It was actually about, I think, the fourth viewing where I actually sat down, watched it beginning to end. And um, I, I mean, I did enjoy it and I sort of, you know, knew bits of it very well up to that point. <laughs> I mean, we all know the um, the scene with the uh, injection. Oh, big time. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it's one of those massively 
you know, quotable films as well. You were saying oh, about yeah. dialogue and whatever. I mean, this this yeah. this this is the king of it. <laughs> oh god, yeah, Royale with cheese. <laughs> exactly, all that stuff, which is, yeah. y- y- you know, Zed's dead, baby, Zed's dead. Yeah, all of that stuff. But uh, no, I mean, I I I I really love this film. In fact, something something um last year, actually no shit, that's scary. Two years ago, um, <laughs> when it had its twentieth uh, anniversary. Uh, re-release um, at the cinemas I was a little bit disappointed because this was when I was um, I was teaching and I was living basically because I was quite poor at that point I was um, in London at weekends but I wasn't teaching in London so uh, I would spend the week I, I actually it was cheaper to, would you believe it was cheaper to hire uh, a rent a room in someone's home <laughs> during the week than, than commute each day which was crazy back then i think but anyway um I mean, it's it's not changed uh trust me i've I've been on a few jobs last year uh where train tickets have been over a hundred pounds right well yeah. a- anyhow so li- yeah listen to that america anyway um so uh no it was one of those situations where it was showing at the uh at the local cinema and um while i was teaching uh you know a lot of my students bearing in mind some of them were you know at that point only just turning 18 19 so they were pretty young um you know they hadn't yet seen this film and i tried to urge them i said please you know go go along and see it on this on this 20th uh, you know anniversary screening and they had like a sort of one off screening uh in the week of it and um one evening and i even you know i negotiated with the cinema to uh for a student you know a special student discount and everything you know and i I was really trying to get students along to see this and uh, i turned up and 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 you know i was horrified there was about six people in the in the theater and not one of the students turned up and i was just that that just made me really sad because i thought they are missing something special here Um, i hope you never did anything like that for them ever again (laughs) no no i mean this was this was uh yeah it, it, this this was just a one off but um but yeah you know and i'm not saying that they're all like that but it was just it was just what 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 i found weird was for a film that is now considered sort of a modern classic uh i just was was quite surprised that nobody nobody turned up to rewatch it but uh well the thing about a film like this is it's it's got to be recommended by a friend it, you you know if your teacher says oh you should go and watch this film i think they're still teenagers and there's still that kind of bit of rebellion in them that's like oh i don't want to listen to what the teacher has to say yeah yeah maybe maybe it's kind of i mean it's it's they'll they'll certainly come around to it i mean if you know if they're interested in film they'll definitely come around to it i mean they they've probably watched a tarantino film now and wonder what the rest of them are like Mm -hmm. and my opinion the earlier films are the better films yeah, I think I'd, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I find all of his, I, I, I've not found a film of his, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about other films later, but, um, <laughs> so I don't want any spoilers there, but yeah, you know, his, his films, I always find them entertaining. Um, there's always something about them that's, that's, that's entertaining, regardless of, of, of whether they, they overall work or not. Um, this one, I, I think, is, is, the absolute gold in the fact that I think this whole thing from its narrative structure to its use of music, to its performances, 
uh, absolutely to its dialogue, which which you've mentioned. Um, I, I think everything about it just works really, really well. And, um, you, you know, it's one of those, it's another one of those films. I know I, I say this often, so there's lots of films out there that, that I can sort of sit and watch at any time. And, uh, and th this is certainly one of them. And, um, yeah, I, I, I just remember the, the first experience of watching it, uh, massively enjoyable. It was very different to anything that I was used to seeing at that point, even though I could definitely see where some of the, um, you, you know, you know, homages and references had come from. Um, but I did like, you, you know, his way of, of of letting these these characters. I like the fact that characters crossed over between the stories. Um, I like the fact that the stories weren't, you know, linear. So, you'd, you know, you'd get things happening midway through and then, you know, those characters would come back towards the end, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, also, th this was kind of the thing, I guess, where, I mean, I know he'd done a lot of films, a lot of stuff previous, but, um, you know, this was where Samuel Jackson, who's obviously one of Tarantino's most frequent collaborators, but he's where he really, from my perspective anyway, first came on the radar big time. You know, I was like, wow, who's this guy? He's he's scary and hilarious at the same time. <laughs> yeah, no, um I mean that's the thing. This is it was a star turn for Samuel Jackson. I mean he stole the whole film right. He, he pulled the rug out of all the other actors there. There were some you know big names there. I mean you know Bruce Willis and John Travolta, Tim Roth, Harvey um, Keitel, Keitel, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, Christopher Walken. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the adverts. We have these adverts over here in the UK where. Um, we have Mr. Wolf. And Winston who, Wolf. I solve problems. Winston, <laughs> yeah. Winston Wolf turns up to people's houses and then asks if they have insurance and stuff. And uh, I have to say, when they do something like that, it does demean a character. And it also, in some sense, I feel sad because it's it's like, oh, you know, poor Harvey Keitel. <laughs> Obviously, he needs the money if he's doing these adverts that are playing off a character he played 20 years ago. Yeah, it's a I shame. May, 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 maybe he enjoys it. I don't know. I guess I'm sure there was a massive paycheck attached to this. Oh, hell um, yeah. But, and, and but the thing working. is, it just it just demeans the character. I, I agree. I mean, I, I do cringe slightly. But but I can also see it kind of works from the advertising point of view because it is such a quotable and, and, and re, you know, such a good reference, I suppose, that people remember it, you know. But, uh, yeah. But it's, such a, it's such a watered-down version of it, you know. You know, there's no swearing in it at all. <laughs> I think only one of the adverts got a 12 because they had a blow-up doll in it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Funny funny enough, one was on about five minutes before we sat down to record this podcast. <laughs> I was like, yeah, oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah, they, it's, it's prolific. I mean, it's on a lot. I've seen it at the cinema a lot as well. And so they're, you know, they're taking that as far as they can. But I mean, it'd be much better if it, they had a bit more swearing in it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty please with sugar on top. Yeah. Clean a fucking car. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No. Great. Great scenes. Great scenes. And and you know, a wonderful, a wonderful ensemble in this of of actors. I, I remember this also sort of brought Ving Rhames to my attention as well. Again, I know he'd done loads of stuff before, but uh, and plenty of stuff since. But um, uh, you know, I I really. 
I really enjoyed this. Um, I, I like the fact that, you know, also Quentin, because he hates sort of product placement and whatever, you know, kind of you get all of his own um, brands and things of that nature. And he's, yeah, in his, his yeah, films have this sort of... Cigarettes, yeah, yeah, yeah his, 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 his films sort of have this, they sort of take place within this sort of Tarantino verse. Well, yeah, I mean, he's talked about how a lot of these films connect up because... Um, the um, the pilot that Uma Thurman talks about is is very much the setup for Kill Bill. Right. The whole idea of this group of um, what are they call um, oh fun fun Foxy Five or whatever wasn't it? No, <laughs> Foxy was it? it was something like that. Um, it's, it's Fox Five. Fox, I know yeah. It's something. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, it's very much the setup for the assassins in Kill Bill. Apart from the jokes, of course. Yeah. She doesn't get to sell a joke at the end. But um, there's that. I mean, obviously, you've got uh, you've got Vincent Vega. I'm, try- I'm trying to catch up, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, to remember what they were called, I'm trying to catch up, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> but no, I was saying that uh, Vincent Vega is supposed to be the cat, um, the brother to... Um, is it Vince Vega in... Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mr. Blonde. Yeah, exactly. They, yeah, they were supposed they were to gonna, be actually related. Yeah, they were yeah. going to do the... Well, there was a time when Michael Madsen and John Travolta, they were going to do a Vega Brothers film, and that never um, never transpired for whatever reason. But uh, the thing is, um, you, you get word of these sort of uh, projects that he's making uh, years in advance. So I think it's one of those things where he's talking about an idea that he's working on. And then suddenly it just becomes news. Yeah. Because I know he'd been working on Inglorious Bastards for a while. I know he was doing, he was thinking of doing that film as well as thinking of doing the Vega Brothers at the same time. So, you know, one, one over the other. Yeah. No, I mean, well, he's always working on like, like, like even, even with his latest one, you know, that had, that had been a, uh, a, a, a script that he'd written as a, you know, as a stage play. And 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 you know that that ended up coming about, and they did that rehearsed reading, and it ended up you know becoming the film that is ne- you know now the hateful eight, and it's it's interesting, well, isn't it? That's not entirely true. Um, what what I heard was that um, it was it was going to be it was, was going to be for the for film. It wasn't going to be a stage play. It was the fact that it got leaked onto the internet that made him just you know wonder what to do with it all oh, right and then the idea of doing a stage play came out of it mm-hmm. and you know and because he did the reading on stage it was what sort of gave them the drive to go out and make it again yeah so yeah i mean i i i do remember it was actually one of the actors involved who leaked it or that was the story it was maybe it wasn't maybe they found out that uh it wasn't one of the actors it was somebody else but um yeah, I do remember there was a you know Tarantino throwing his hands up in the air and going, "I'm not making it now. Mm-hmm. Now it's out there. I'm not making it." But no, and apparently that's supposed to uh, take place in the in the same fictional universe as um, uh, and Django Unchained. Yeah, which you know I don't think there was any any uh, overt crossovers or anything or, or references, but uh, I, I know that that's been talked about as well. Um, you know in various interviews and things of that nature but uh but yeah i mean um you, you know 
Pulp Fiction really is. Uh, I mean, if there's anyone listening to this that hasn't seen it, which I find highly unlikely, but if there is anyone, for God's sake, go and see it. Treat yourself. Um, you know, it's it's a wonderful piece of entertainment and uh, a wonderful wonderful piece of cinema, I think. And um, you know, it is it is quintessential Quentin, isn't it? Um, you know, I mean, it it, it really is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I so um, the the music in it is great. Yeah, exactly. All all sort of um, you know, m- mainly source music, but uh, you know, you know, again, sourced from uh, record collections that, uh, that 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 Quentin had had over the years, and and well, like he often does with his films, you know, uh, puts them into a company. Um, the film as a, as a soundtrack almost but i mean this is the thing that tarantino did do was he did revive the interest in um soundtrack albums because mm-hmm. i had i had i think this was the first one i got and then i got reservoir dogs and then i got jackie brown and as the other films have come out since um i've been less and less been buying them because I just think the choices of music aren't that great. And you mean you didn't have <laughs> music inspired by the film Beverly Hills Cop and Top Gun and <laughs> and all those Harold Faltermeyer ones of the eighties? <laughs> no, but I'm guessing you did. <laughs> yeah, I think they were knocking around somewhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, those came later, but um, you know, to it was about the time when I was sort of getting really interested in music and stuff and um i mean that's the fact you had the dialogue on there yes which may have not been a new thing but certainly was something that caught uh people's attention at that point yeah well you mentioned guy Ritchie earlier and um the the uh the 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 soundtrack to to lock stock um has exactly the same things where you know in between tracks you'll get like a a 30 second um you know, audio clip from from the film. You know, somebody having a rant or whatever, and it will be in between the tracks. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's been very sort of done since. But uh, um, I remember, but I remember to, the Pulp not Fiction to such one. Style. I, I was going to yeah. say, I remember the Pulp Fiction one in particular because you know yeah. you did have the whole Royale with cheese and and uh, you know you know eat, eating pig and <laughs> and, all, and all of those uh, you know wonderful. Uh, wonderful exchanges you you had the (laughs) um the honey bunny yes and um, good opening that yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. um and pumpkin sort of opening speech at the beginning and then you had the uh royale cheese and then you had zed's dead baby zed's dead and i think it was it was very good way of sort of you know again sort of learning the dialogue making it more quotable because it was there on the album yeah and the the, the actual dialogue they picked was very good i know he doesn't do that anymore now with the soundtrack albums i, I believe um i know i don't think was there any on death no there was sorry there was some on death proof sorry i take that back no he's still he still does the whole dialogue on on the album stuff it's just it's a forgettable i mean the death proof album where you've got um Oh God, my mind's gone blank. Oh, Eli Roth, yes, doing his speech about you know giving the girls drinks, more drinks, so that they'll go to the cabin with them. <laughs> just, just you know, forget. Very it. winky. Yes. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, no, but just not to the same level as 
as Pulp Fiction. Yes. If, if yeah. by some bizarre reason somebody is listening to this wondering what the hell we're talking about here, um, check out the soundtrack and it will it will become um, much more apparent. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt there's many not many people out there who's not who doesn't know about the soundtrack and stuff especially if they listen to this podcast indeed indeed yeah but uh but you know i i, I could wax lyrical about this film loads um most of it most of it are probably things people know anyway but uh, yeah i i, I was gonna say before we move on is the fact that with pop fiction um it is long but it doesn't feel long no and it, it feels that it's the right length and there's 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 nothing in that film that sort of drags. No. And the thing with a lot of Tarantino films, especially of late, is that you can scenes could actually be cut out and it'd be fine. And you know you could lose twenty minutes here and there on a lot of the films lately. Yeah. Because uh, they, they they there seems to be stuff in there that's just it just seems not needed. And it's like going back and watching Reservoir Dogs and watching a film that was, you know, 90 minutes mm-hmm. <laughs> was very refreshing. Yeah, I was going to say, what's happened to that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, after that one, <laughs> it was, you know, two hours plus, man. Yeah, I mean, this this one doesn't seem long, but I think a lot no. of that is because of the, the, the chapter structure and um, mm. the wonderful writing, uh, but also the... the um, the out of sequence narrative. I, I, I think um, the the sort of nonlinear narrative of the mm. whole thing yeah. kind of yeah. kind of keeps you, it, it just keeps you holds you there. He, he's very good uh, at, in lots of his films, but particularly in this one of um, you, you know having something fairly intense going on that that kind of really holds you there as an audience um and 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 you know he doesn't yeah, he doesn't and... do it better than he does in this in my opinion i mean have you seen it in order you know i don't know i this is this is one of those things i think there is a cop is there something available that shows yes. it in order there, there there's there's a cut on youtube i saw it i don't and... care I'm, I'm not bothered about that That's it, not the it's film. it's you know? Yeah, but it is it's it's interesting to watch because okay. yeah because then it just it it just confirms that the the structure that it was made was the right way of doing okay. it. Okay, because watching it, it's it's very so it starts off with the watch, mm-hmm. so Christopher Walken doing the speech, mm-hmm. great speech, and then <laughs> yeah, and then we it, it, and then kind of starts normally. So we have Jules and Vincent in the the car going off to pick up the. The, the the suit the briefcase the MacGuffin briefcase yeah <laughs> yeah and um but then it's sort of then you get the the end bit after that right with the cafe and then you've got the date and then you've got the boxing and so it finishes it I mean it starts off with the watch but finishes with Bruce Willis driving off uh with the girlfriend Zed's dead yeah okay yeah, yeah. so the last line is Zed's dead and it doesn't it doesn't you know because that speech at the end that Jules gives about, um, you know, about his speech from the Bible yeah. and what it means. And, uh, you know, it's a perfect way of ending the story. Okay, so so Bruce Willis kind of almost, um, or his character at least, not him as the actor, but his character kind of 
bookends the entire story then when it's in chronological order yeah yeah okay. which is very very interesting yeah so i mean because you know you have um the cafe scene that books in the film yeah in the in, so it's interesting that uh if if put in chronological order um it's you still have two bookends with the same character Oh, right. Fair enough. No, it's, maybe I should. I do love the film enough that watching it in a different way would, would probably not be that bad of an experience. So maybe I'll have to... That's online, because I, I, obviously that's nothing official, is it? That's that's an online no, thing. No, I, I would be surprised if it was still on YouTube. I mean, they've taken a lot of stuff down lately, so... I would be really surprised I, if it's I know it's, but if you've I know it's, it's it's worth watching. Yeah, I know it's been done recently as well. I I this was it, it was released. I remember it actually came out on VHS um sometime in the early 90s or whatever, but they they've done it with the uh the Godfather as well, the the legacy. They've actually put it in chronological yes, you get the yes, De Niro stuff that. first yeah. and yeah, whatever, but yeah. um but what what one thing although I'm sure everybody listening already knows this 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 uh bit of well trivia or 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 um uh you, you know conjecture or whatever it is but that there are those that say that the um you know the the MacGuffin suit uh, briefcase in in pulp fiction actually contains the 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 things from the heist at the beginning of uh, reservoir dogs i i've i've heard but i don't know whether well that's, that's one theory the other theory, the theory yeah. is uh <laughs> that um being rame's character is actually um the devil and that's why he has a plaster on the back of his neck because it's a third eye and that the mm. contents of the briefcase is a soul nice but hence why it hums when they open it because <laughs> it does very slightly a nice a nice bit yeah, of sound design yeah and it <laughs> glows as well i mean it's i mean the end of the day it doesn't matter what's in there because the film isn't about that. no exactly it's just yeah it's a MacGuffin, say, it's like MacGuffin. a hitchcock MacGuffin. that is yeah. yes absolutely cool well we like it yeah. though we like it pulp fiction <laughs> gets a, a massive thumbs up i, I don't think i've met any even people who don't like tarantino particularly i think most people i know enjoy pulp fiction i don't think yeah, I've i know i know like one it. person who doesn't like oh really it. i okay. know one person who doesn't like it but then he doesn't like tarantino stuff fair enough so. fair enough yeah. he's entitled to his opinion like everyone yeah <laughs> yes right moving on to my pick for movie heaven oh, it's a good one uh, yeah i decided to go with uh jackie brown yes now, Jackie Brown was the first uh, Tarantino film I saw in the cinema. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. As I said, I missed, um, I missed Reservoir Dogs. I missed Pulp Fiction. And so this was the, uh, the first one I got to see. Yeah, I'm glad you picked it because it's one of those that, uh, you know, it is a fabulous film. And uh, I don't know whether it's necessarily talked about as much as some of his other films, like the one I've just picked. Um, but uh, it was really nice to go back and revisit this, actually. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, I think it's because it's a bit more mature than uh, his other stories. There, there is a, um, it's sort of. It's a film most people consider not well, you know, they they've seen and stuff, but they don't really hold up in high esteem, you know. It's just, it's very weird. I mean, uh, from what I remember, 
um, it didn't do very well at the box office. Oh, did it not? Okay. I don't... Which is surprising to me because the screening I went to was packed. All right. Hmm. And everybody I know had seen it. So it's it, it just maybe it didn't do as well as Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. Possibly. I mean, I mean the, the, the big difference with this one to, to all of his other work is, is the fact that this one's actually an adaptation rather than, you, you know, most of his stuff is written and directed by him, whereas this is written for the screen, but it is actually adapted from El, Elmore Leonard's story, isn't it? Um, is it called yeah, Rum Punch? Uh, punch yeah. Rum Punch, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I, I love it. I think it's great. I mean, the, uh, the sequence with Beaumont, uh, is 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 very much like um its own little story <laughs> in the rest of it and uh, chris tucker yeah <laughs> yeah who's it, most films is bloody annoying yes I, i'm glad you said that because chris tucker is somebody that uh i i can, can really set my teeth on edge in a lot of stuff but i actually thought he was I mean, great it took me <laughs> it took me a while to sort of like his character in Fifth element oh. because for a long time annoyed the it. hell out of yeah, me. Yeah, I hated it. I have to say, <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean that whole sequence. I mean, it's just great. I mean, it is just you know, you know, two people talking for the majority of it, and you know, one trying to convince the other to get into the boot. You know, and it, it is it's great because I don't think because I think up to that point you you weren't aware of uh samuel jackson's character being you know that sort of devious you know and, you know why would somebody spend all this money just to take him out you know get him out of jail and then take him out <laughs> yeah no absolutely it's it's uh um no that's a great scene and and i don't think it's obvious at, at all and also no. i really mm. like the way it's shot the fact that he you know decides to sort of hold that in, in in a yeah. wide and and you get the uh you, you know you see it from a distance and and i yeah that really i think that makes it more powerful yeah i mean some wonderful choices uh for camera work in this like with the opening sequence following pam greer she's um on the conveyor belt going through the airport she's a foxy lady yeah <laughs> <laughs> well because she did a film called foxy indeed Bell, so. And I, well, again, that's where he got the idea for that because that's where that opening um, credits came from. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think it, 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 it does work for this. And I think the fact that it was Pam Greer doing it and not another actress, I think, you know, helps. Oh, I think Pam Greer is absolutely amazing in this oh, film. Pam Wonderful. Greer is, it is really good. Yeah. And again, it was another role that sort of made her do got, got her more work made her sort of more noticeable because she'd been working a lot yeah i mean do you remember she was in bill and ted's um bogus journey <laughs> oh god yeah okay yeah I, I i i have vague recollection of that i mean in such a throwaway character yeah i mean she's literally you know she talks to him at the beginning about the battle of the bands and then turns up and and then you find out it was actually somebody it was rufus yeah in a, in a pam Grier well, suit. The, 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 the show the show is stolen i'm afraid with uh william sadler playing death oh yeah 
<laughs> Nervin. <laughs> uh, really like William Sadler, but that's again yes. that's a whole other yeah. podcast. But, um, but uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it's um, the 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 thing with with Pam Greer and this as well, and her character is is you know it, it made me chuckle rewatching this. Is is the fact that um, you, you know you've 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 got De Niro and 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 Samuel Jackson, you know, who are sort of your normally your, your your typical tough guys but when you think about it in this film they are actually quite inept <laughs> yes <laughs> and the smart one is is um is definitely uh um you, you know uh jackie brown or pam Greer's character jackie brown yes, is, is brown, the smart yeah. one and uh and also um uh you know uh bridget fonda <laughs> as melanie yeah, yeah. i mean yeah. You, you know um despite what happens to her at the end or whatever she's you know she, she's a lot smarter than these than these guys surrounding her and uh you know i i thought that was quite a nice um a nice yeah, change but, that, a nice that, thing to but that's see. what makes them dangerous because they don't know how stupid yes. they are. i mean i mean the fact that robert de niro's character shoots bridget fonda's character in the face when he's she's pissing him off she's you know you know just sort of nagging too much and that's just that's not a normal reaction that's just wow. a reaction under stress i, I was but... gonna say i think lots of i've seen a few husbands in shopping malls that look like they want to do the same thing but <laughs> yeah well nobody actually does <laughs> but then the girls don't look as hot as bridget fonda did in this film i mean she looked great in this didn't she <laughs> yeah <So>. yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, and it was nice that she was sort of playing somebody her age because uh, she was talking about, you know, because um, Samuel Jackson refers to her character as, you know, when she was younger, that she was, uh, you know, a lot hotter and stuff. Oh, like yeah, that. yeah. Just recently, she's sort of been nagging a lot more. But, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, no, no, I mean, it's... Uh, it, it's I mean, the thing was Tarantino said when he was making this film that he wanted to make a film about hanging out, that you could hang out with these characters and spend time with them. And that's certainly what you do. Yeah. And But it again, it's it's a film that doesn't outstay its welcome. It's, uh, it's just the right time. And it, it's great that you see a lot of the, sort of the planning. So you do like the dry run of bringing the money back. Yeah. Oh, which is brilliant. That's all. Yeah. That's a, in fact that whole um, the whole mall scene is, is mm. so nicely executed, and you know the fact that it's done from the different points of view and whatever works beautifully. I mean, yeah, it, but you got to remember you, you you. But the thing is, you sat through the the, the trial, right? Yeah. So you see him do it one time, and then you sort of you see that um, Pam Greer and Robert Forrester's character Max Cherry sort of plan to sort of to do something else or maybe not because you never really see him agree to it there and then. But then once you get to the sort of that main scene of the actual, the, the, the double cross, that's the, um, it's the whole, the killing it's, um, it's, um, Oh God, I'm trying to think of the Kurosawa film. Oh, um, yeah. Well, Kurosawa oh. is another influence for him, anyway, isn't it? Oh yeah, but, yeah, but I mean that as many filmmakers, whole, but but you know the whole sort of seeing event happen from two different points of view. Yes, yes, I know you exactly know, from three different points of view. So you actually see the action play out one way, and then you go back and you see it from another point of view, and you learn something else more, and then 
again the third time and yeah it's, it's it was done really well but you know it it was done as well in the killing mm-hmm. yeah no ab- ab- absolutely absolutely i mean the um uh you, you know the fact you were saying about this this film doesn't outstay its welcome i mean it's it's actually a 154 minute film uh so it's a pretty yeah. long film but it certainly doesn't feel like it when you're watching it at all no it doesn't at all at all no. which which um you, you know again uh, i i can't necessarily say the same about some of his later work which does sometimes feel a tad yeah. long yeah but uh you, you know th- this this uh this seemed quite tight considering um yeah and the story. Well, the the one f- the one thing I do like about this film is that we don't get Tarantino in an acting role. Yes, that's true. Yes, apart from the voice on the answer machine or something. Isn't yes, it? But that's yeah. It. <laughs> well, that's the thing. You can't escape from him not being involved in it in some form or manner. I mean, even the Hateful Eight. Spoiler, but he's not in it. There's no acting role for him. He's definitely but a frustrated still, actor, though. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he is. Yes. He is, and uh, <laughs> you, you know, again, in fact, that's that's something I should have made as a point when we were talking about Pulp Fiction. Um, you know, the the, the the one or two scenes he's in a, in that is Jimmy. Yeah, he, he's not actually. He, he he kind of works for that role. He's not too jarring. Whereas I've seen him in other stuff for other directors <laughs> where he's completely jarring and you're like, no, you shouldn't be. And yeah. even in some of his yeah. work as well, like his oh, bit in Django was, was pretty jarring, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, he was awful yeah, exactly. in his um, his segment of Four Rooms. Oh, well, yeah. Awful. Uh, I, I don't have if a anything, opinion of Four Rooms anyway, no, I have to say. I kind of liked Four Rooms until it got to the Tarantino part. And I thought his was the weakest of the three, of the four, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, the other three were a lot better, a lot more inventive, and his was just, oh, it was just terrible. Yeah, it, Four Rooms for me was, I, I haven't seen it in a long time, but um, yeah. I was always slightly disappointed with it. it, it to me, it felt a, a somewhat indulgent film, like, you know, a bunch of mate actors and directors kind of got together and just sort of had a laugh and made this, and I didn't really feel it was... Um, it was particularly great, if I'm honest. But uh... well, I watched. I I had avoided it for a long time because of those reasons. Because everybody kept saying the same thing, and then um, I watched it last year on on Netflix, and I quite enjoyed it. Apart from the Tarantino, bit, right? Which was the one bit I was. I everybody told me was the best bit, <laughs> and it wasn't. It was god awful, and I I thought him having the main role in it was he shouldn't have done it, man. Yeah. Should have just given it to somebody else. But I mean, he's fine as um as Mr. Mr. Brown, Brown. Yeah, that's fine. In uh in, you know, Reservoir. I Dogs, agree. Even though he even though it's um you know, at the beginning it's his speech that opens it about uh Madonna and Like a Virgin. <laughs> It's very, it's a very well written speech, though. Let's be fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got. I always love what Mr. White says. I've got Mr. Chu coming out of one ear, and I got big dicks coming out of the other. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Going back to to Jackie Brown. Um, no, I think it was it was it was a, a wise move to sort of not be in it. Um, I think all the actors in it did a hell of a job. And I also love the fact that um, a character 
got carried over from from this story over to uh, another Elmore Lane. Oh, what Stephen Stephen Soderbergh's out of sight, yeah. Yes, yeah. with Michael Keaton's uh, Ray Nicolette. Yeah, now it's pretty cool that there was a, a crossover and a tie-in between those films. Absolutely, that was. Well, I mean, there's been tie-ins before, but you've never had the same actor play the tie. Yeah, if you know what I mean. That hasn't been a, a part of a series of films. You know, it the the fact that these two different films just being made from Elmore Leonard books decided to have the same character in it and to cast the same actor who was willing to come back and play that role, even though it was smaller in out of sight. Yeah. No, it's pretty cool. It was good to see Keaton because he's great in that role. And, and, you know, I have to say, I mean, I, I, I'm a, I like Steven Soderbergh as a director as well, and uh, I thought Out of Sight was a was a decent movie. So yeah, yeah, no, it was, it was really good. And again, it was another film that played with structure. Yes, uh, especially its use of um, freeze frames. Yeah, you know, I really enjoyed the use of freeze frames in it, and you know, uh, George Clooney was very good in mm. that. Uh, but I mean, it, it's you know, is that community is very small because I mean, you know, Clooney had worked with Tarantino on From Dust Till Dawn. That's right. Ashley, if we're going to talk about Tarantino roles, <laughs> Ashley, from Dust to Dawn, he is very good he in is. that film. Yeah, yeah. Very good in that film. And it's just a shame that his acting never got any better. Yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> interestingly, I know we're going off on one of our famous movie heaven, movie hell tangents here, but I do want to ask, because I've not seen it. Have you, um, on the subject of Dust Till, from Dust Till Dawn, have you seen the... Uh, the television version that they made no 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 me neither no. i was just wondering whether it was any good or not i've heard i've heard mixed things about it so i'll have to i'll have to check it out at some point i guess i'll probably get around yeah. to it at some point but at this point i haven't seen it so can't ah fair enough fair enough okay um <laughs> but uh yeah i'm jackie brown is 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 i think people don't necessarily jump to this one when they talk about Quentin but I I do think it is it is one of his stronger pieces actually um mm. and yeah. it works really nicely and yeah you know wonderful all of the performances are good in in this there, there's there's no no real duff ones um somebody who I do think is is amazing in it though is is Robert Foster really is great in this I mean yeah. that character of yeah. Max Cherry is is really you know, you really feel for the guy, and you love it that he's sort of smitten with 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 um, Pam Greer, and, and who wouldn't yeah. be? But but you know, you kind of love that, and and you know, at the end, you kind of you know you you, or I found I was I was kind of really rooting for them. You know, you you, you know what I mean? So uh, uh, well, yeah. I mean, I think the, the thing I like about this film is it, it's a film that sort of deals with getting older. Yeah. Because especially with those two characters, there are two characters who are who are getting older and are sort of looking at their lives and seeing the mistakes they've made, and you know they they have this sort of opportunity to sort of you know maybe get out of the ruts they're in, and they decide to go for it. Uh, but at the end of the day, the only one who truly gets out of it with something is Jackie Brown, because Max Cherry decides that he likes the rut he's in i guess or that he doesn't want to sort of change i i can imagine him being a character you know that character if he if, if he had gone off at the end with jackie brown in uh in ordale's car that um i don't think he would know what to do with himself 
he he's somebody who needs to be doing something and that something is being a bell's bond mm-hmm. so. actually um you saying that you've raised a really interesting point i think which which is something again about tarantino sort of generally which i quite like is when you when you actually think about you know typical hollywood as it is and it's always about it's you know it's always somewhat ageist it's always about everybody everybody has to be young and good looking you know and in their 20s and then you know really hot and all this sort of stuff but tarantino films when when you look at them generally that's actually not necessarily the case he does always have characters that have that are a little older and have experienced life and and maybe a slightly more weathered and things of that nature which which is kind of when you look at the body of work that is kind of a common thing isn't it which which i kind of like well yeah but i think it's it, it comes from the fact that he casts a lot of his heroes and that's right yeah they were like in their 20s actors, when he was a kid or whatever did, yeah, yeah yeah exactly there are films that he watched a lot in the you know the video store and, yeah you know he got the chance to sort of cast people and he decided to cast those people yeah Instead of casting up and coming people, yeah. but I think it's the last film of his really that deals with age. Yes, because yes, the characters in, in some of his later films are older, but it's never discussed. Yeah, it's never really a thing, and yet this film tackles old age or growing older head on. Yeah, and it does remind me a lot of um, one of the themes from Star Trek to Rafa Khan. Yes about feeling older love it i love it that you've tied that in amazing wow yes no i mean that's <laughs> but yeah but come on i mean it's the the thing about uh rafa khan is especially with kirk's character is he's a character who feels old that he's been put out to pasture that yeah. becoming an admiral was the worst thing he could have possibly done because at the end of the day his the best thing he could do was being a starship captain yeah no, I agree. And that's the arc through, well, uh, essentially through from Star Trek 2 through 6 is, 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 is that arc about age. and Kind of. But I mean, it the, 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 didn't have to be because the end of uh, part two, when uh, when they're looking over the Genesis planet and um, he I can't remember who asked Kirk. How oh, he uh, felt. McCoy says, you know, Jim, how do you yeah, feel? And he goes, young. I feel young. young. Yeah. Like... <laughs> young. I feel young. Exactly. No, I mean, I, I, I love it. And, you know, people yeah. used to say, remember back in the day, people used to sort of say, oh, but those, those original crew from Star Trek, you know, they're getting a bit old for these. And I'm saying, well, you're missing the fucking point. That's entirely mm. the point. You know, it's like, um, although, although I laugh at it now, because when you think about it, Whereas nowadays, you, you know, turning like Kirk's character was turning 50 or whatever. And that's like no big deal nowadays. Right. But you think about it in in 250 years time, that's that's probably going to be like nothing. You know, it's probably going to be like <laughs> he's still got a, a, a yeah. 50 year career ahead of him. You know, <laughs> possibly. I mean, I think it's just I think it's a hang up of, of people. Yeah. You know, oh, I know I'm hung up on you, age. You, you, yeah, I mean, you 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 hit a certain age and you go, and you stop and think, and you go, bloody hell, I've been around for that long. And does that mean now that, you know, that whole idea of there being less days ahead and more days behind? Well, fortunately, we're not quite there yet. Well, hopefully, God willing. But, <laughs> but, but, but I mean, on, on the, on the uh, 
on the subject. What was I going to say? Oh, God. Oh, my God. Age is kicking in because I've completely forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> Bloody hell. Um, I'm sure it's something to do with Star Trek and age. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Probably. Oh, dear. Never mind. <laughs> oh, well. Old age has kicked in early for Keith. Oh, dear. Very early. But, you know. Um, I can't remember. It was a, it was a, it was a really good point as well, and it's gone completely out of my head. Oh well, well I think well, I sort of sort of uh, sum up my my feelings about it. But yeah, it's it's a film that um, I enjoy quite a lot. I enjoy the soundtrack. I think the soundtrack's really good. It's probably um, it those first three soundtracks for Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and Jackie Brown really up there and. Um, I was listening to uh, the projection booth recently Mm -hmm. where they did um, a special on Reservoir Dogs. And what they did was um, it was the episode before they took all the songs that were mentioned and were played on Reservoir Dogs. You know, the whole that that Steve Wright mentions on the radio station Mm -hmm. and they played them out in order. And a lot of the songs that they mention went on to appear in Pulp Fiction and in Jackie Brown. There you go. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, by the way, I have remembered what I was going to say about age. Yeah. And I, I want to get off the topic of age. I, I, I promise. But <laughs> uh, one of the things I was going to say is, is the, tr- the trouble with age. I, you know, I've always sort of um, measured age against my, my heroes, both in front of and behind the camera, you know, and that's, that's yeah. the problem. I've always sort of, compared myself to that and as the years have gone by and the 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 target moves you know what i mean you say oh i need to have accomplished this by 30 oh oh okay that hasn't happened so yeah you know and it moves slightly but but it doesn't really matter does it yeah but really scott didn't make his first feature until he was in his 40s no but he wasn't an actor as well this is the thing acting is horrible for that whole thing there yeah. you go yeah. but that is a subject another, another that's a whole podcast. nother podcast absolutely <laughs> absolutely and oh god i can't yeah well i even lost my train of thought so what the hell is that saying i, I put it i put it down into a busy week and feeling tired there you go that's my yes. excuse yeah and i'm sticking to it <laughs> so yes uh jackie jackie brown, brown um, awesome definitely worth checking out and um yeah, we'll uh, we'll move on to our picks uh, for movie hell just after these messages. Do you like science fiction and fantasy? Do you like things to be rigorously, or rather obsessively, alphabetized? Then do we have the show for you? The A to Z of SFF takes a wry, lightly fictionalized approach the compulsive breaking over of pop culture artifacts that make up so much of today's podcastosphere. We cover everything from Aaron A. Aardvark to Zardoz, and all points in between. Zardoz might be a welcoming mind. We've been at this for a year and we haven't finished the A's yet. The A to Z of SFF, a podcast of epic triviality. Two men, 26 letters, one universe. Search for us on iTunes or your favourite podcast app as the A to Z of SFF. Or check out our website, the A to Z of SFF.com. What's the matter, Jane? 
But there's definitely something wrong. Jane? placed under constant watch. That much I know, but who done it? Available now on Amazon.com, on DVD and video on demand. So, Keith, what is your pick for movie hell? Okay, well, um, as I already said, that the, there's things that uh, Tarantino has done and directed um, that I didn't think was so good. We mentioned forums already, and also I have to say the the, the segment that he directed in the in Sin City, which is a film I really like, but that that segment I don't think is is great either. Um, I thought it was alright. It's alright. But... I, I I thought it was alright. I, I I thought it kind of, you know, it was odd to have a guest director in it, but um, I don't think it affected the film at right. all. Right. Yeah. No. It okay. wasn't suddenly. It didn't suddenly take a a curveball and was completely different. Yeah. I mean, it fitted within what they were doing. Uh, fair enough. But uh, the film I have picked for Movie Hell is um, from 2007, and it's uh, Quentin's half of the Grindhouse uh, double feature, which is called Death Proof, um, which I have to admit, uh, when I first saw it, you know, I thought it was just meh, okay, it was fine. I actually preferred, I saw this, and then I saw Planet Terror, which was the Robert Rodriguez um half and i have to say watching them as individual films i actually preferred planet terror uh, over death proof um having now that, this is the thing I, this is the thing though i was I, sorry to interrupt right. you but this is this is the thing was that i remember the lead up to this to these films coming out and i remember the seeing the trailer uh before go um before seeing sunshine at the cinema and seeing grindhouse and i was so looking forward to this i was so looking forward to seeing this double bill because mm-hmm. i'd never been to one i've never experienced anything like that where you had a double bill where you had two films playing on the same program and um it was a very 70s thing wasn't it <laughs> yeah but we didn't get it they uh, it didn't do well over in the states in the states they didn't get it at all. I believe people walked out after the first film because the credits came up and they thought, that's it. <laughs> that's the film over. Off we right. go. And so they panicked and they then split them up and had them released separately. And so we got Death Proof first, which was a longer cut than uh, the one that came out in Grindhouse. Yeah. And, uh, and then we got Planet Terror afterwards. And I'm like you, I enjoyed 
um, Planet Terror a lot more than I enjoyed Death Proof. I, I remember that uh, everybody was hailing Death Proof to be this great thing that, oh, Tarantino's done something different with the genre film that, you know, he's he's made a, 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 a what do you call it? Like a, a, a slasher film with a car. <laughs> and you think, oh, wow, this is, this is going to be good. And then you saw it. Yeah. No, I, I, absolutely. I mean, I, I saw the films individually first off and, uh, you know, like you said, they, they, they kept saying Tarantino's done something different and it, it, it didn't feel that different. You know, there were a lot of Tarantino tropes and traits in it. It just didn't didn't seem quite as good or quite as quite as interesting. But having said that, I was lucky enough. The Prince Charles cinema did actually show it as a d- proper double feature. And, okay. and the atmosphere was amazing as well. I mean, sometimes the audience can make or break a film when you watch it. And this mm. was fantastic. And it was much more enjoyable in that version. Because like you said, it was a slightly edited version. Um, yeah, it's a short and, version. And they had it? these yeah. wonderful f- faux trailers in between, you know, it joining the double feature. Um, well, I mean, one of which got made into a film in the end because it was the whole machete <laughs> uh, film, you know. Well, and... Um, and hobo with a oh, shotgun. Oh, hobo with a shotgun. Yeah, okay. So, so you know, some yeah. of them got made, but uh, but they, they, you know, they had they they had some brilliant ones in there that were really hilarious uh, by a, sort of other guest directors and whatever. Um, and I thought it worked much better in 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 that context than than it did as a standalone film. So, um, well, yeah, I mean, that was the thing I was looking forward to, and that's what the kind of experience I was after. And um, I, I, I actually went to see it for, as a free screening with, with a friend of mine. And um, I do remember that violence nearly broke out because my friend just wouldn't stop making noises. Oh. Well, good noises. Yes. No. <laughs> okay. No. It, um, <laughs> I, I, you probably, probably people have experienced this when they've gone to see a film at the cinema and they have that one person. He's not, they're not a talker. They're just a snorter. Ah, okay. But they have to make noises. They're sort of. Oh dear. Yeah. Let's yeah. not. Let's not I mean, go I don't there. Wanna, I, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not going to name names, but I, I just remember in the middle of this screening, where the the guy behind me was getting very vexed, and his wife sort of went, "No, no, don't do it." Oh dear. That could have been embarrassing. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. yeah. But um, you know, this 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 film. I mean. You know, you know, it, it's got Kurt Russell in, who's playing this stunt man, who's who's. Ep- There's not enough Kurt. No, Russell I was going to say he's ever likable. <laughs> you, you know, Kurt, to have Kurt in something. Uh, this was also the first time, in terms of act, an acting role, that uh, Tarantino worked with with the stunt woman Zoe Bell, who he, he now seems to be. You know, she seems to be one of his um his regulars now. Uh, you know, she was even in um, Hateful Eight. Uh, as, yeah. as a character, so it's quite nice that he sort of managed to learn. Have, have you heard? Have you heard the Zoe Bell story? Uh, no, tell me in case I don't okay. know. Okay, okay. I um, I can't remember if I. It must have been one of these roundtable uh, talks or something because I, I heard this recently. Um, but Tarantino was got, talking about Zoe Bell, and Zoe Bell was um. She was a stunt double for um, Uma Thurman in Kill That's Bill. That's correct, yeah. And um, 
and he told her that he wanted her to act even though she would be wearing the helmet and everything she still wanted to sort of be in the mindset of the character and he was saying that um one day because it was such a long shoot one day he was really down he was it he felt the pressure of it all he was really fed up and um and he sees zoe bell sitting down sort of in the corner not doing anything and he goes over to her and he's like is everything all right and he says no he, he went up to her and she said oh i'm just waiting for you to you know tell me what my motivation is and he felt so proud he said at that moment his heart melted mm -hmm. because he's like oh my god i've turned zoe bell into an actor <laughs> and i think from that point on he's just you know just wants her in all his films and you know, and I have to say she gets served really well in his films because she has appeared in other films and she's kind of been blink and you miss yeah. her. I think the, the, the one example I can give is with Oblivion. Right. She was one of the, the sort of, spoiler if you've not seen Oblivion, human characters who's, you know, that kind of the resistance. Um, and she sort of stands there in the background and doesn't say anything or might have one line. Yet, um, you know, in films like Death Proof and everything else, she has a major role. Though saying that, Django Unchained, you wouldn't have known it was her underneath that scarf if, it, if she wasn't credited. Mm. She doesn't say a word in that film. That's true. So, so I kind of slightly take that back, but um in death proof and in hateful eight she gets used mm. to and in this film in this film uh, oh sorry yeah. death proof yeah of course you're talking yeah. about death proof. Sorry, yeah, yeah. um this you are age is caught up oh with my you god i hope not um <laughs> <laughs> oh dear kirk where are you? No. Um, <laughs> so no, it, it, yeah, ab absolutely. But uh, it was good that she's that she's in this, and uh, you know she plays a stunt woman, which kind of makes sense. She plays a New Zealand yeah. stunt woman, so it's it's not yeah. a massive stretch. But <laughs> no, no, definitely a part written for. But, um, but yeah, well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say my problems with this film is the fact that you get to know one group of women. And then they get killed off, and then you have to get to know another group of women again. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the problems is that both groups of women are not that interesting. But out of the two groups, I do prefer the first group because mm -hmm. they seem to be, or well, a, they seem to have less screen time. <laughs> the other group, <laughs> the other group, screen time seems to be very long, or. If it wasn't, it feels very long. Yeah. And at least with the first lot, you actually feel like they're actually being stalked. And then the second lot, not so much. Uh, I mean, the whole sort of talk about, you know, Italian Vogue. <laughs> I don't think women get such, I don't know. Do, do they sort of get so turned on by... Italian I, I, well I don't know because I'm not a woman but uh <laughs> I don't think so yeah I, I I don't know the answer to that but uh I I, I mean I saw the fact that the, the whole sort of um obsession with this uh white dodge charger from uh vanishing point 
it's movie reference for movie reference sake, isn't it? I know, but it's it takes up a whole lot of the film, yeah. and, the, and and the, and and watching it this time, I was thinking, bloody hell, you know, I, I know it's a film, but you imagine now after everything that's happened, they have to take it back to the owner, and it, the state it was in, and it was all banged up to hell, mm-hmm. and stuff, and it's just like. It was either that or they, they kept the car and they left um, uh, is it Mary Winston mm-hmm. uh, with the, the dirty old man <laughs> who, again, was in Kill Bill playing a, a dirty, dirty old, old man. man. Yeah, well. no, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, in, yeah. in some respects in this film, I mean, we were saying earlier about the, the, the you know the age of, of, of characters and, and um, you know, in this one, it's, you've got these groups of young girls and it is, it is almost like that in some respects they're almost there for just a bit of eye candy it, it, it sort of fills in places yeah because it because it, it does go on a bit uh, a bit mm. long and then of course you've got quentin pl- playing the the owner of the bar in this one which uh, i know he was uh, so uh, he was so awful yeah. it's like uh who's this guy he's stuntman mike what's he do he's a stuntman <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, wow, you putting any effort into this? I mean, at least in Django Unchained, he was trying an, an Australian accent, which was probably the worst Australian accent ever. Yeah, it was very. It was. It was the thing that pulled me out of the film. I have to say. Oh you know, God, yes. Um, I mean, if there's 20 minutes that could have been cut out of the film, that was the 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah no, definitely. <laughs> I mean, as to the fact that you've also got a proper Australian actor there. You know, playing alongside him. I mean, you've got the uh, the chap from Wolf Creek. Mm-hmm. You know, give him a bigger role, not not Tarantino. Oh. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. And we and and you know, we 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 talked earlier about the sort of um, Tarantino Rodriguez universe thing that they created. Mm. Of course, you've got uh, in this as well. You've got Michael Parks playing uh, Earl McGraw. You know, the the Texas Ranger that's uh, obviously recurring in some of the other films as well. So oh, that's got, right, from Kill Bill, yeah. That's right, so yeah. you've got you've, you've got that uh, going on here. But, you, you know, the, the, the film is it's not awful uh, at all, but I just think that it, it works as it was originally intended. So if you watch it as a double feature, which I believe, in fact, I know because I have it, that's available on, on Blu-ray. Uh, you know, you, you, you buy Blu-ray, yet the, you know, the things scratch the buggery. <laughs> the, the look of this film is... You know, to try and well, yeah. I mean that that was <laughs> that was the other thing as well, which is um, I think was kind of it, it, it's weird because it's it's played for fun in um, Planet Terror, but in Death Proof just doesn't work. Yeah, it's just a bit distracting. I mean, really, that, it? it's very distracting, yeah. and the whole sort of end of um, you know end a real thing. You know, where part of the scene just ends. Yeah, yeah. It just it just just doesn't work, and the whole sort of color change as well when it goes from color to black and white and stuff. Um, now, one of my favorite films is a film called If. Oh right, yes, the um, that's uh, Malcolm McDowell, right? Is that's it the, right, yeah. the the Anderson Lindsay Anderson film? Is that right? Lindsay Anderson, yeah. that's okay. correct. And in that, film, see, my brain is still there. They, I haven't. Completely it's still lost there. It. Very, very good. Very good. <laughs> Very good. We're a young Malcolm McDowell is the lead. Yeah. Now, the thing is, in that film, they use colour and black and white film. Now, uh, 
one of the reasons why they used it was because of budget because they couldn't afford to film color mm-hmm. for certain you know they couldn't afford to film color for the whole um the whole film so they they had to use black and white so what they decided to use do was use the black and white for the kind of the more fantastic scenes the stuff where you weren't quite sure if that was actually happening or mm-hmm. not yeah good, a good course, stylistic yeah. choice oh yeah working to yeah. their budget that's quite a good idea you know a choice made out of necessity yeah. in this it was just distracting as hell and just it just didn't work yeah yeah no absolutely uh, it's kind of um you, you know like i was saying that i think in its in its originally conceived context so in other words if you watch this as a double bill feature um in one sitting with the you know with the with the faux trailers in the middle um it, it, it it's, it's works and it's quite entertaining. However, if you take Death Proof as a standalone Tarantino film to watch, you know, in its slightly extended version, like you said, with all this added scratch and noise, um, it's it's actually, uh, yeah, it doesn't quite work, which is why I picked it as movie yeah. hell out of Tarantino's yeah. body of work. I yeah. think this is probably, although entertaining and although it does have its merits, I think this is probably the weakest entry in his uh in his portfolio um to date Uh, and you know he's redeemed himself since with with django and um you you know hateful eight and 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 whatever but uh yeah this this particular um this particular film uh, you you know in this standalone edition uh i don't think is particularly works so hence movie hell his films of late have gotten very flabby and there's there's some film there's some as I say, there's stuff in it that you can cut out quite easily. I would be quite interested in seeing like Grindhouse as a double bill and see the the shorter version of Death Proof because I I do find that the the longer version drags, especially in the second half. Yeah, it drags a lot. Yeah, well, it, it was. I have to say, um, seeing it at the Prince Charles, it was obviously a sellout. It was kind of a a one off screening of this or. And um, it was only shown for a day, so a couple of showings or whatever. And uh, it was definitely the right audience to see it with because, you you, you know, the audience really, you you know, there were a lot of Tarantino Rodriguez geeks in there and they loved they loved (laughs) this stuff. And when and when when the trailers came up and whatever, there was applaud and cheer cheering. And it was it was really good. So so my memory of that is much better. And that's what caused me to actually purchase the. uh, the Blu-ray of the double feature rather yeah, than right. buying the film individually. Um, uh, so, so yeah, that would be my recommendation for what it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> well, m- my recommendation of a film to, to avoid is uh, Inglorious Bastards. Okay. It's my pick for movie hell. Yeah. Um, it's, um, I was quite intrigued that um, Tarantino was going to do a war film and from the looks of it he it did look like he was going to do the dirty dozen mm-hmm. i mean especially that uh, first trailer we saw with uh, brad pitt talking to his men yeah you know mm-hmm. i thought oh we're gonna have a dirty dozen film and uh it's certainly not that if anything the inglorious bastards aren't in it that much if anything it's more about the other characters um so I think the we can say that the main character in Inglorious Bastards is um, the French Jewish woman. What's her name? I've got 
Five. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, I know who you mean. I can't think of her name. Yeah, uh, Melanie Lawrence. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Who plays Shosanna. 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 Sure. Yeah, and her sort of, you know, pl- plan to take revenge on the Reich for the uh, the killing of her family. Now, yeah. the, the one thing I'll give this film is that um, this is the film that introduced that you know introduced the world to Christoph Waltz, and it's the best present that Tarantino's oh, yeah. ever given. I agree, one hundred percent on that. Really, I mean, Christoph Waltz is just massive but now he's a bond villain absolutely yeah (laughs) in fact that he's advertising um video games at the moment wow yeah (laughs) with his clash of clans yeah i mean that trailer was uh seeing that the cinema was really good that's the thing with james corden isn't it yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame about james corden i'm not a big james corden fan he's doing well for himself yeah oh boy is Mm. he isn't he uh, that, that's the thing. If you're not a fan of somebody and they're doing really well, it makes it even worse. Yeah. <laughs> worse. <yeah. laughs> I don't mind him. I don't mind him. Good on him, I say. But yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, I sort of, I don't just, I just sort of avoid it. But, really, but it's, you, it's the best way to deal with yeah, it. Yeah, you're absolutely right though about um, bringing Christopher Waltz to the sort of mainstream attention because, you know, th- this film. It's fair to say that the best scene in the film is the first scene, isn't it? Um, I would say the best scenes are all the scenes with yeah. Christoph Waltz in it. He is—he plays such a great bad guy in this, and it's just a shame that his screen time is is not much in comparison to mm. other actors in it. Made up for it in Django, though. <laughs> yes. Oh Thanks, hell honey. yeah! Oh, <laughs> amazing in Django. Yes. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, just just great. I mean, the whole, as you say, the opening sequence, um, it, you know, the use of language in that scene works really well because they they you know it's, it's like you think at first oh they're they're switching to English because you know that's just a filmic thing, mm-hmm. you know. There's always that bit where the you know suddenly we hear them speaking English for some whatever mechanic the film's used. Yeah. I mean, I always loved the mechanic of the uh, little chip that, um, oh, the main guy gets in the last Starfighter so he can then suddenly understand what all the aliens are saying. Oh, right, yeah. Like and so we can understand. Thing, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he gets a little chip on his collar. Yeah, yeah. So suddenly now we hear everything's in English. Uh, it's a, a lovely mechanic. It works. But in this film, um, it's great because he's using it as a way that the uh, the Jewish family below don't understand what he's yes. saying. Yeah, they don't understand English. Yeah, rather rather than doing a a hunt for Red October <laughs> style <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. or Valkyrie style, um, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, uh, trick trick to the audience. But yeah, no, it, yeah. you're right. In this, it serves the uh, it serves the plot very well um yeah um so i mean i I love the scene with him and uh brad pitt where he's um trying to sort of uh deal his way out the war i love the way he goes that's a bingo (laughs) you know just the look on his face you know it's it's really well done. was this Um, actually was this the one he won the oscar for or was it um, no, Django. Django. It was Django, wasn't it? Yeah. He was nominated, I think, for this. He was nominated, yeah, but Django he won and did, and 
well deserved because in Django it's a great. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, and I I always miss that character when he gets killed off. Yeah, spoiler. No, I'm just. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, if you listen to this show, you know everything's a spoiler. Spoiler alert. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, No, I mean, one of one of the things I remember some of my students uh, were watching this or had watched this film, and uh, the thing I found quite scary is is some of them, you know thought that historically uh this and i'm like no 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 no. you have to understand it's set in that time period and 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 thing but this is like an alternate reality this is not you know this is not historically accurate guys please don't please don't grow up telling your children <laughs> this <laughs> well this is just the fairy tale exactly <laughs> it is a fairy it's just tale a backdrop. You know, I, well it starts off once upon a time in occupied yes, germany exactly you know it or occupied france sorry and you just like um yeah, it's it's a, a total fabrication. It's a completely made up. Um, but yeah, it's just. I found it long. I, I, I you know, I, 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 you know, I don't necessarily. I, sadly, I didn't. I didn't have time this week um, to to revisit this for this podcast, which is a shame because it's always better when I do. But um, you, you know, again, this is another long film, and it, it, it felt, although. You know, I, I I enjoyed it when I saw it. At the same time, it did feel overly long, and it didn't have, even though he did his his usual sort of chapter structure and whatever with this, it it, it didn't it didn't feel as sort of cohesive as a Jackie Brown or a Pulp Fiction or, or a Django well, the, comes the, of that. It, you know, well the problem was there was too many characters and they were all over the place, and you weren't really following one group of characters throughout the whole thing, and. It was just, it was just too much. It was just, it was just too much, and it was just not enough there to sort of keep you gripped. I, do, I, do think there was not enough meat on the bones of this film, and it just felt very thin. I mean, I mean, the fact also that he, his best scene was sort of before the end, the the shootout in the uh, basement. Yes, yes. Great scene. Yes. Great suspense scene. And then after that, everything sort of pales in comparison to it. I mean, the ending with the whole setting the cinema on fire and stuff. Yeah. As fun as that was, um, you know, just it, also tonally as well compared to the rest of the film was really off. I mean, the whole, you know, Brad Pitt, Eli Roth, and the other character all pretending to be Italian. Yeah. Oh no, that was a bit know, ridiculous. Giorno. That was ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, that was the other thing is, and I think you said this, but there, there was a. Uh, you know, this was a ridiculously huge cast. I mean, there were a hell of a lot of characters to deal with yeah. in this. Um, I, he always has a, you know, reasonably large ensemble, but this one really was. And and y- you know, that you had to have a lot of real estate to get all of these these characters in and rounded and whatever. And uh, well, you know. is it really? I mean, if you if you take the films we've we've spoken about, who are the main characters in Rev- Reservoir Dogs? Who are on the screen the most yeah yeah i mean it's yeah it's not no no but i mean i'm asking you how many uh i mean think about well, it. It's one two three four five. yeah probably half a dozen at most yeah well you've got it, it's mostly it, it's mostly those guys in the warehouse yeah. so you've got mr white mr orange mr blonde mr pink yeah so it's four guys yeah, yeah there are other characters 
but it's all about these four guys. Um, you take Pulp Fiction. So you've got um, Vincent Vega, Jules, Bruce Willis's character. Yeah, Butch. Uh, Butch. Yeah, Butch. What is it like to kill Butch. a man? <laughs> <laughs> What's Butch mean? <laughs> Names don't mean shit here in America. <laughs> um, so you got those three characters. I mean, you got Mia Wallace, but really she only comes into it for one chapter. So in that one, then baby just you've got three main characters. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean now, you have a lot. This of one, you this this, is... this one, you've got. So you got you know you got Brad Pitt, you got Melanie Laurent, you got Christoph Waltz, you got Eli Roth, Michael Fassbender, Diane Kruger, you know, and it's just like and the list goes on. It's yeah. on, and it's just there's she's just nobody really there to follow. And of course, the other thing that annoys the hell out of me is the Michael Myers cameo <laughs> scene where he he is you can tell he is fighting the urge to do austin yeah. powers he's always doing the little sort of smile little you know where he curls up his mouth at the end <laughs> and he does that kind of look <laughs> yeah. and also the fact that they they use kilometers when they're talking oh that made me laugh he's, yeah yeah i don't like these guys i mean i was like what the fuck tarantino and that always knocks me out of the film what the fuck tarantino this they're, they're supposed to be british we talk about miles. You're the guy who introduced people to the notion the of the system of Royale cheese. Yeah. You know that there's no metric system in bloody Europe or England. And yet you go on with bloody kilometers. Yeah. We don't even use kilometers now. <laughs> what the fuck? No. This is so annoying. So it felt lazy. Yeah. It really felt like he had done no any research at all. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, yeah, we 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 in England are a bit confused in the fact that we we kind of straddle that. Um, you, you know, we're not completely metric, but we're not totally imperial either. We're always a, a bit of a mix. I I always laugh when we get in our cars because. You know, we measure everything in miles per hour and, and you know, yards and stuff to, to turn offs, etc. Yet, you know, we set the temperature at degrees Celsius and fill the car up in litres. And it's like, yeah, we're, 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 we're kind of, we're not one or the other, are we? <laughs> it's kind no. of madness. But anyway, how did we get on to talking about the metric system? That's our Tarantino. Because I'm yeah. saying that bloody Tarantino was lazy. He was, yes. And and not using and use kilometers in his scripts. And it, I, I'm and nobody turn. I mean, nobody turn around and say um, uh, Tarantino. Actually, this is kind of long. Well, yeah, particularly at that era as well. I mean, the fact you got Michael Fassbender in the bloody scene, they did not turn around and go Tarantino miles, not kilometers. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, in fact, interesting mention Michael Fassbender there because of course this was again he'd been around for a while, but this was before he was the sort of you know. A-list megastar that he's since become, which is quite interesting, isn't it? This is just before, isn't it? Just before. Well, it is, and also the fact it's probably why he's not in it that much. I mean, if anything, he's criminally underused. Yeah. I mean, I, I liked his character, the idea of that he was um, versed in German cinema and that he could speak German. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's... I, I mean, it's one of those sort of annoying things where they have some, there's some lovely moments in it. I mean, the fact that what gave them away um, was the way he did mm -hmm. free. 
because German people used their thumb for free while he used his fingers. Yeah. Even, you know, where he thought it was the, you know, can't let, let a good scotch go to waste, oh boy. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, no, I mean, it, it's got, it, it, it has its, it has its, um, it has its moments, this film, but I know what you mean you say about not so memorable. Uh, I would say this one's probably one of the least memorable for me, but then maybe that's purely because mm. I haven't watched it as much as the other films. Um, yeah, I, I've only watched it twice and uh, um, I watched it the first time and uh, I wasn't impressed and then I came back and watched it for yeah. this. So I don't think I'll be returning to it okay. anytime soon. And also, I don't think Eli Roth is that. No, he's not. That, so. No, no, not at all. Again, it's the mates thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, in this and in Death Proof, yeah. it's terrible. Yeah. And interestingly, in this one, of course, Samuel L. Jackson is just the narrator, isn't he? Um, so he... Well, he's a voiceover that's put in there for, I don't know, the, for people who can't, that don't get yeah. the point. I mean, he talks about the whole uh, nitrate film. Yeah being um you know flammable and stuff like that which um i think by the end of the film you would have understood that yeah. point i don't think there would have been anybody at the end of the film going hmm, film why is it <laughs> well no not with all the not with all the stuff that happens in this film that's the least of the the, the things to nitpick but yeah <laughs> yeah it was just a bit I, I don't know i find that voiceover a bit weird but it's almost like he had to use him isn't it it's kind of weird it's like mm. uh you know, yeah. that's his main yeah. collaborator. And, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I have to admit, I, I should have, I really should have rewatched this, but I didn't. So, uh, and there's probably something to be said for that. But, um, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not one of his best efforts, in my opinion. And, and I don't, I'm just trying to think if I know of anyone that actually thinks this is like his best movie or anything. Um, I'm sure there are those out there. I know a few people who really yeah. like it. Um, I think it's, it, uh, as much as we are not big fans of it, I know people actually quite enjoy right. this. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, his films are always interesting. They are interesting. It's not, it's not that it isn't an interesting film. I, I do think it just suffers from being a bit long and, and, and trying to have serve too many characters, basically. It's, it almost, yeah. it's almost trying yeah. to be too epic. It's 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 far. and this of course was a a project that he worked on and developed for years, wasn't it? This was years in the in yes. the making, and he yeah. went off and made other films we, in between. We spoke we spoke earlier about how he was developing this and the Vega Brothers at the same time, yeah. and so yeah, yeah, it was a a project that he had a long gestation. But uh, I think probably might have been one of his problems that he. I think this is the thing he. There's a there's a saying, isn't there, um, about when it comes to editing, about um, you know, uh, kill your darlings, kill the things that you really love if they're not working within the yeah. film. And I think that's a lesson he doesn't adhere uh, uh, to. Yeah, has learned or yeah. adhere to. Yeah, because um, he it does feel like the film, uh, especially that film, it it felt like they pushed out the first cut. Yeah, you know. And it doesn't feel like anything was taken no. out of it. And it should have. There should have been, as I say, at least 20 minutes taken out of it. I mean, there's a whole segment in the middle where um, the Melanie Lawrence character is meeting with all these German officials. 
about using her cinema for this this yeah. screening, you know, for the end of the film. And it goes yeah. on and on. And, you know, it, it, it does lighten up a bit when Christoph Waltz turns up. But you have to sit through so much of it beforehand. It just it, it's it stops the film yeah. dead. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, I, I tend to agree. Are you saying you'd have rather he made the Vega brothers? <laughs> um, no, I wish he'd made the Dirty uh, right, Dozen. Yes. That he just concentrated on the, the bastards instead of trying to get everything else in. And also, you know, the total, you know, and the and end the yeah. war. You know, it was too much of having his cake and eating. You know, he was he was that powerful at this point that I suppose he could. But yeah, um, yeah, doesn't always work. But uh, it, it's it's not without its merit, though. I think it's fair to say the film is not without its merit. It has it has points. It has interesting scenes, but it's they're, they're yeah. scenes. Well, like you also said, it, it introduced the sort of uh, English speaking. Uh, Hollywood mainstream world to Christoph Waltz, which is uh, which 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 yeah. if for nothing else, that's wonderful, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know you're trying to be positive. I'm trying, about it, but, but yeah, I know what you uh, mean. Yeah, I mean, I know I said in about Jackie Brown that I loved the scene with uh, yes. Beaumont, you know, and that works as a scene on its own. But then the whole the story oh, works great. as well, and what happens in those events have effects on everything else. And, you know, the scenes that work well in Inglorious Bastards, you could take out and have them on their own. Uh, but but a lot of the other scenes, you know, it just, as a whole, it just doesn't yeah. work. Um, I was just wondering, while we're talking about Tarantino, um, did you ever mm -hmm. see the, the two-part episode um, of CSI that he did called uh, Grave Danger? Did you ever see that? Yes. What were your thoughts on that? I thought it was fine. It was just played up as a. It just played as a normal CSI episode with a cliffhanger. I don't think he brought much to oh, it. I, I know they they made a big big deal out of it. I remember they actually had it out on DVD as a just the two episodes. Yeah, I well, see. Actually, it's the only CSI DVD I've got. I have to say, it's always <laughs> one of those ones I bought. You know, you can buy it as a standalone. But I, I um. I mean, there's obviously there's so much CSI material out there. I, mm. I, you know, I can't even keep up with it all. But I did. I remember I was house sitting for someone once that had, uh, they had the DVDs of of like the first four or five seasons, um, and I I did kind of back. I had nothing else to do, so I back to back sort of watched everything, um, yeah. which was quite interesting. It was it's only really the the, the Vegas CSI that that character wise i sort of found remotely interesting i never got hooked by the the miami or the no. god knows miami, where or, or miami the was is he, he, he you know he used his psychic powers on that one <laughs> yeah yeah it's caruso yeah. in the sunglasses wasn't it um that's right but yeah. uh but it, it was interesting in so much uh you're right it was uh kind of a normal episode obviously tarantino a big fan of it um however they did do, they have one or two like sort of odd, you know, um, scenes in it that were very Tarantino that he got to sort of play with. Um, but also the characters did do a few things that were sort of a little bit 
uncharacteristic if if you'd watched everything leading up to it. And one of the things that right. bothered me slightly, and it's really nitpicky, but um, Nick, the one who ends up, Nick Stokes, the one who ends up in the in in the in the coffin, uh, you know, buried uh, yeah. in that episode, when he turns up at the crime scene and he kind of introduces the character, um, he spits, and I sort of thought to myself. Would a would a crime scene professional like him spit their you know DNA into a into a crime scene area? And it's almost like it almost felt like it was something that Tarantino had directed him to do, and it felt a bit jarring. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'm being, I mean, I'm being ultra nitpicky. I, here. I have to say, I probably have more fonder thoughts of his episode of ER than I do of CSI. Oh, I'm not sure I'd seen that one actually. It was, um, yeah, well, there was a, uh, quite a few nods to Tarantino. It was a bit with the two uh, nurses walking down the corridor wearing sunglasses. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember that one. <laughs> Were they whistling? <laughs> no. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and, you know, it's, it's... it's No, no, this is not, not Kill Bill. This was back way before that. This was after he'd done Reservoir Dogs. Oh, I see. Right, okay. Yeah, it's early on. Bill. <laughs> They would have to be walking along whistling and ha- wearing an eye an patch. An eye patch, indeed, yes, yeah. yeah. Um, no, it's cool. But, I mean, he's done a lot of stuff. He's, You know, it is interesting. He's only done the eight films, but they have been sort of eight films that have really stood out. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and, and yeah. the sheer mention of his name and, and you know, people sort of pay attention. So, uh, so you know, not bad for a, for, a, you know, a guy who had a sort of, Troubled working class upbringing or whatever, and uh, you, you know was a worked in a video store, <laughs> <laughs> which is always the famous story, isn't it? <laughs> that everybody yeah. cites. Yeah. So. Yeah, but um, well, we're going to end it there. Um, we're going to end on our customary manner now. Yeah. Uh, so, Keith, where can we find your work? Okay, if you go to YouTube and put in British Isles. Uh, as in E-Y-L-E-S. Do you like what I did there? British Isles, but spelt with my surname, E-Y-L-E-S. <laughs> um, then you can find uh, short films that I've written, produced, and directed uh, there to view and comment on if you wish. Uh, and that's also a way of getting in touch as well. Uh, you can find my work, as always, on independentrunnings.com. You can listen to this podcast on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, and on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. And uh, when you're on iTunes or Stitcher, please leave us a review and a rating. So uh, join us next time for uh, our next letter in the A to Z of directors. <laughs>